the tango too. Welcome. This podcast is coming to you from Down Under, or more specifically, Bunurong Country. That's right at the bottom of mainland Australia, just above Tassie. Our little portion of Bunurong Country is called the Mornington Peninsula, which is part of the growing Melbourne city sprawl. The Mornington Peninsula is where the bush meets the bay, and it has rich biodiversity. But, as with any idyllic seaside spot, that biodiversity is under threat from human interference. This podcast will explore the wildlife and environment on the Mornington Peninsula. We'll take a look at how we can best protect what is left and minimise future threats. We hope you stick around. Hi, I'm Nick, and today I welcome Laurie Levy, environmentalist or wildlife activist or whatever you like <laughs> she just called us a lot worse than that. <laughs> I did notice earlier on when I did my research you were more environmentalist that's all and later on it became activist <laughs> and then I guess by now it's like long service leave or something isn't it? <laughs> yeah, very close to it yeah um, I would like to discuss your life as an activist uh, interested in how Time hasn't eroded your enthusiasm and probably also you must be amazed how other people aren't in step with you through you. Like people might come and go but they don't stay the distance like you have. Like you're synonymous with ducks now, aren't you, really? Um, well, the water bird issue became big in 1986 mm. and basically that was because there were 100,000 duck shooters in Victoria at the time and there was no one looking after native water birds. Mm. And governments don't look after them. Had that been growing to 100,000 or had that been at that level for a long time? Because in the 70s it was huge. It's probably been around that for a long time. Yeah. And it had gone on for years and years and there was no one looking after wounded birds, no one looking after protected and threatened species. So when we first went out to the wetlands, uh, there were 15 rescuers that went out there and we had no idea what we'd be walking into, but we gave it a go and, and, and all the media came out with us. So there were 8,000 duck shooters down at Geelong. We went down to Reedy Lake and all the media was around with us and uh, rescuers for the first time were seen on the news that night coming out of the water with wounded birds yeah, and also bringing out illegally shot protected and threatened species. Yeah. And, of course, all of that went to air that night yeah. on, on television news. All the channels covered it and also all the stories went interstate and the campaign took off. When they went interstate... They would have been having the same situation at the time, or had there been some states that had? Well, uh, well, New South Wales had about twelve and a half thousand duck shooters. Yeah. We had a hundred thousand. Wow. Western Australia had about one or two thousand. Same with South Australia, and the same with Tasmania. Mm -hmm. So Victoria always had more duck shooters than uh, the whole of Australia put together. 
They said we dominated for some reason. We had more wetlands. We had more wetlands. So there it is. We had about 20,000 wetlands and, of course, uh, it was tough going out there. And when we first started, duck shooters were using semi-automatic and pump-action shotguns. Yeah. Um, And, of course, they would just stand there and pull the trigger and birds would fall out of the sky everywhere. Well, I read somewhere, too, that... The drought, in a sense, was a bit of a blessing because it stopped a lot of regular annual sort of events, didn't it? So yeah, that... we've only, in the last uh, 38 years, we've only stopped, what is it, one? 1995 was a moratorium, uh, 2003 and 2007 and 2008. But in 2009 and 10, when the drought was even worse, John Brumby had become... Premier Victoria, and he called duck shooting seasons. And even the shooters on the opening morning of the duck shooting season in 2009 were standing around and they were saying, why did they call a duck shooting season? There are no birds around. And when they say it was a monitoring before that, was that because of drought or was it politics more? M- mainly drought. So they'd look at it and they'd say, no, nah, the dams haven't filled up enough. Well, the government didn't really do that. They had to be pushed uh, so it's always been a tough battle. Mm. And, and, and the way we've approached it is trying to work through government bureaucrats has always been virtually impossible to, to if you want to succeed doing anything. Mm. So we always believe that the best way to win, and, and you've got to have that thirst to win, Mm. You've got to want to win badly <laughs> for the wildlife. It might have been a little key to what you had and, a bit and, you. And, yeah, and, and the only way I see uh, of winning issues is to go out and to get a lot of media coverage because it's not how many members a group has. We've only got seven members, which is what, what we need for consumer affairs to have a not-for-profit organisation. Yeah. But 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 it, it's the reach. Yeah. So when you're fighting an issue, there might only be five of you. Mm. So, so what we did uh, was by taking 15 rescuers out, it allowed the media to see rescuers coming out with, with wounded birds and with illegally shot protected and threatened species. And those images went to air that night. And, of course, the other thing we did that was different to duck shooting, we had the rescuers, but we also took out a mobile veterinary clinic. So any wounded birds that we brought out would be looked after in the mobile veterinary clinics. And also it allowed the cameras to go in and photograph the birds being worked on, vets working on those birds trying to save their lives. And that made all the difference. In the sense of people then tapped into sort of getting to know the bird and yeah, seeing yeah, so, what is getting so lost. People had seen duck shooters before on, on the news on the opening weekend of the duck shooting season, but this was the first time they had seen anyone challenge it. Yeah. And by uh, having 15 people trying to help protect those native water birds really touched the public's heart. And we, we were only going to go out for one weekend only. Wow. But we got so much media coverage 
that, we just kept it going. And we knew that we had a chance of bringing about change. And, of course, what happened, Nick, was that uh, people in other states started rigging in the following week, saying, we loved, we loved the campaign you were running. We want to we take it on in our state. Uh, and that's how it all started off. And that's like all states at this stage had... Uh, no, there was no bans on shooting. They were all shooting at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So different invi- different backdrop in the sense of everyone was just thinking it was part of what we do. It just like normally grand happened. Final, yeah. Grand final day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like that, yes. Yeah. Uh, the West Australian Conservation Council phoned us and said, look, we want to go out to the wetlands for the first time to help native water birds. Can you come over and give us a hand? So we, I went over to help them, and they did a fantastic job. And five months later, uh, Premier Carmen Lawrence put out a media release saying that duck shooting was banned, that every year birds are wounded, native water birds are wounded, uh, uh, protected and threatened species are illegally shot, and all this lead shot is dumped into our wetlands, and it was gone. You would thought West Australia and Queensland would be the last two. Yeah. And yet they were the first. So West Australia was number one. Yes, and, and then... And what year was that? 1990. 1990. So that's 33 years ago. I was so, over there then. Oh, there. Okay. I lived there. I wasn't a duck shooter, so I missed me, but yeah. Well, we only fought one campaign over there, it. Nick, and then it was gone. Back a bit because it didn't start with ducks, did it? And, and who knows? I can't say it's finishing with ducks because we don't know what the next one, <laughs> next one is. But it started with was whales the first? Yep. So you were a journalist. Uh, you were. Um, I, I was a Channel Nine. Yeah, I was a Channel Nine cameraman. Cameraman. Yeah. And, and in the late nineteen uh, seventies, I worked with Project Jonah, and they were working to have whaling banned in Australian waters. In 1977 at the election, uh, Whitlam said, if I get in, I'll ban whaling. Fraser, Malcolm Fraser said, if I get in, we'll give you an inquiry. So Fraser got in uh, and an inquiry was set up and uh, we, we fought that inquiry. And in 1980, because while the whale populations had been decimated by harpooners over the years, uh, there were three species of, of whales that were at the point of no return. And because of that, whaling came to an end. Was that just in Western Australia then, by then? Yep, Shane's Beach in Albany over there. So Western Australia were the last to do whaling, and yep. they were the first to stop the duck Yes, shooting. yes. So it's an amazing little ten-year period. Yes. So wow. And um, so you got involved with more than just that, though, didn't you? So that was a project that had a beginning and a finish. Yep. And then they've probably done better by. You know, I've just been up at Queensland, and everyone's just looks for the whales the whole time. Yep. So tourism's benefited, surely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But uh, you, then you got involved with whale rescue. Uh, yes, uh, we noticed when I was still working at Channel 9 that, that whales were stranding mainly in Tasmania yeah. and, and that the uh, 
National Parks and Wildlife Service staff were just letting them die on the beach, shooting them. And Did they have any program at all at that stage? There was no program at all, to, no thought to even yeah. rescue whales. So I went down there with Neil Bethune. Yeah. And, of course, when you're on a beach and, and there are 100 whales and, and a lot of them weighing 20, 30 tonnes, uh, it, it's daunting, and, yeah. and but by talking to the media uh, and calling for volunteers, we found that hundreds of people were turning up to help try and rescue those whales, mm. and we started rescuing them mainly because of the volunteers that came down, and we were successful in in getting some back out. We, others died because we made mistakes. So you had techniques and you try things, a bit hit and miss, but you had an yep. idea that if you could get the right whales out... Well, what we found is the whales strand. Uh, a, a stranding is the opposite to swimmers going in at Christmas and, and getting caught in undertoes and being swept out. They're going the other way. You've got lifesavers going in to rescue them. Mm. Well, we just did the opposite. Mm. When whales were coming in, we became the lifesavers for the whales mm. and we started to get them out. Now, the government didn't want us to do it because it's a big job and they didn't really want to get involved at the time. Uh, and, and also it's hard work and, and costly. But with all the volunteers that were coming down to the beach to help uh, and all the media coverage that the whales generated, mm. uh, state governments got involved and, and we were able to set up a federal whale rescue plan and state whale rescue plans. But firstly, you did a video, which is available. We're going to attach it to the podcast so people can yeah. see it. But amazing. It just, it just to watch it now even, it's, it was so... Um, an original concept to do, and I remember thinking that they just—they just suicided for some reason. It didn't make sense. That's—that's that's what most people thought, yeah. and, and we, we didn't believe that was the case. We we thought that there were, had to have been a reason why they were coming in, and the reason why they were coming in, it could be a whole range of things. But one can be sick, and be and because of their strong family ties. Uh, the others will come in to help it. Mm. Uh, or they, all the whales that strand uh, uh, are whales that use sonar. Mm. And if they're coming up against a rocky outcrop, they'll get a signal back to say danger. Mm. But if they're coming in towards a sloping beach, mm. they, there's no bounce back with their sonar. Mm. So if one gets stranded, all the others come in to help. Mm. And by getting them out one at a time doesn't work. It does sometimes, but not always, because the whales that you get out, if there are whales still on the beach, the whales that you get out will come back because they're still communicating. Mm. So what we found was the best way around that was to take all the whales off a surf beach by carrying them on the backs of four-wheel drives and you'd have five people on the back of the truck keeping the whales wet oh. and, you'd, and you'd put them into a, a, a calm harbour 
and you would stay there in, 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 you might have a hundred whales, and you would stay there with the whales overnight in waist-deep water, and the people have a, a calming effect on the whales, and the whales would just sit there with you. And then the next morning, you would have a fishing trawler come in, and you would tow one of the whales out to sea. You'd put it on the back of a lilo, and you'd have uh, ropes attached to the tarpaulin under the lilo, take one whale out, have a couple of divers out there, turn the whale around facing the land, and that whale would start communicating with the other whales, and all the whales would then go out. So I saw something similar in the, in your, in the video. I just have this memory, like they have that free willy thing, you know, where that jumps over the pier. When you see that whale go around and do a circle of the boat, yep. you do have this feeling that stays with you, doesn't it? It's yep, like yep. a real communication thing of saying thanks or... Yeah, and they do do that. Yeah. They do that. Yeah. And they know you're helping them. Mm. You know, when you're working with them, I mean, they're so heavy that they one flick of their tail could wipe you out. Have you seen anything like that ever? Have no. You? Never? No. So that's, you got me then. I wasn't too sure. I'd be, I'd be up the other end pretending if, to help. <laughs> if you've got rescuers around the tail of a whale, yeah. the whale will just stop moving. Oh. So it's aware that you're there. Yeah. And just by standing there overnight with whales mm. that are in waist-deep water, see, the whales become buoyant very quickly. Mm. And... The whales stay there with you. Well, I don't want to be a spoiler, but the, the video, the highlight of it was then back in Victoria, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, people can watch it and should watch it and see. And I have vague memories of that whole episode of the they back into the national parks and they weren't happy to to sort of try and save them. I think it was up Port Hicks. That was Point, Point Hicks. Hicks, and, yeah. And... and uh, they were mainly false killer whales from memory. And, and what happened was the department didn't believe they could be rescued. And so they were going to... They, they brought a helicopter in and a shooter and they were going to shoot them. But because we were there, they waited until dusk. And they, most of the holiday makers who were trying to rescue the whales... Uh, had left the beach and uh, Neil Bethian and myself had, were walking down with them and we knew that what they were going to do and the Department of Conservation had planned to arrest us if we tried to stop them and they had the helicopter there to fly us out. So what we did, we had a 16mm film camera and they started after it got dark mm thinking that we wouldn't be able to film without any light. But we did. And uh, we, we got all those shots. Powerful shots. It's pretty sad shots. Off whales yeah. being shot. Yeah, terrible. And the movie, as of the video, suggests that that was the turning point then, wasn't it? It was, because what we did, we went back to the film lab and we had that 16mm film uh, overdeveloped, which compensated for the lack of light. Mm. 
and we got it to air television-wise and uh, it made the front page of all the dailies the next day. Uh, Which in the day was, that's the ultimate, wasn't it? Yeah, like yeah. these days, it's different, isn't it? Like yeah. You get a front page of the newspaper and you go, I don't, didn't even see it. But yeah. then everyone saw that. Yeah. Evan Walker was the minister at the time and Evan Walker was terrific. He, he said that in future... Uh, Wales will never be shot again mm. and that if Wales are on the beach he made the final decision and Evan Walker was terrific and it never happened again. Mm. Wales stranded and Wales were mm. rescued. That That's how you bring about change. And did you feel your work had been done at some point on the Wales? And No. No, okay. No, we had other states. We had Wales stranding... Uh, at Crowdy Head in New South Wales. They had a big rescue before we flew in. So you'd fly uh, up, yeah. pay for your own, yeah. and get your togs and wetsuit or whatever yep. and go up? Okay. Yep. And, and Channel 2 made a documentary on that one. Oh, that's A half-hour documentary. Um, mm-hmm. By the time we got there, it was dusk and National Parks and Wildlife Service already had Uh, done a rescue and the whales had come back in again Mm. and we were told that there was a meeting in the motel of government scientists and uh, conservation officers and they were looking at putting the whales down at first light in the morning Mm. so we crashed the the meeting and said look you've got all the media here you guys are going to look like the bad guys if you start shooting in the morning and they said, we'll have one more rescue. And they got them out. They did the rescue. We didn't. We just helped. How, how many whales was in that? There, there were about, I think, about 100 whales again. Uh-huh. And, and uh, one of the whales had beached about 50 kilometres away. And people knew by then that whales could be rescued. So uh, uh, a couple of families... They managed to get enough people to pick up one of the... They were pilot whales to pick up the whales and uh, they were going to drive it back on the back of their four-wheel drive vehicle to where the others had stranded. And they pulled into a service station to get petrol with this whale on the back uh, and and they got it back and that whale (laughs) was saved. I'd like to see a photo of that. I mean, it sounds just filling up... Because these days you just think it was someone cut out and ch- copy and pasted or something, wouldn't you? A whale on the back. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing that had happened, you see, was even after one rescue, they realised they could rescue them ah. and, and they could help no them. Difference. And that that's the thing that makes all the difference. And, of course, mm. if volunteers hadn't have rushed down to the beach to help initially, it never would have been possible. And fast forward to this, I think it was Cheney's Beach recently. Shane's Beach, yeah. Shane's Beach, right, in Western Australia. Yeah. And um, that was, you know, like amazing because it's we hadn't heard like that big mass lot of whales for a few years maybe, maybe during COVID. They yeah. didn't, no one was out to see. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? But um, it was, uh, they had that drone video where they all were out in the yep. ocean, which seems to have made everyone think what's 
going on? Were they? Was, was that surprising to you? It, because it was. We, we've never seen that no, before. You wouldn't have, because you would have heard afterwards when they were breached. Yep. Yeah, and they didn't have much success, did they? Well, uh, as soon as we turned the television set on and had a look at the news, the department people were saying to volunteers, don't come down to the beach. And we knew then that those whales were in big trouble because what they should have been saying to to the public is we're going to start a rescue tomorrow morning at first light and we want as many... All hands on deck. All hands on deck. And that didn't happen. And we knew then there was a problem. Why do you think the message would have been different? I mean, can you guess, well, educate a guess? Or what were they well, in the 1980s, the West Australian Department of Conservation were very good at rescuing whales. And we, we went over there for, for two rescues, one in 1985 and one in 1988, and the department was very good at getting those whales back out. But I think fast forward to, to this year, and a lot of the staff had left and retired. I think they might have been inexperienced. And they were inexperienced. And yeah. as we've always said, Nick, uh, a successful rescue needs the person in charge to have a positive attitude. Mm. If the person in charge of a rescue, and it's always a department person who's in charge. If they have a negative uh, attitude to rescue, Mm. it won't work. It won't work. It's interesting too, I think I mentioned to you, my brother-in-law was in National Parks and he said in the day in the 60s and the 70s that like a lot of the departments were run by like scientists or people specialists in that area. He said in the 80s and afterwards, Levels came in and he said, you will find the scientists now at level three yep. before they get to decision-making of that particular, yes. not the knowledge-based part, the yep. rest of it's business and government sort of levels. Yeah. And I maybe reckon that could be also an issue that the bureaucracy might get in the way yep. because people maybe haven't got the skills to make a decision. Yep. And so it's easier for them to say, stay away from the beach. Yes, exactly. Because my 2IC is also a business person said, stay away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and that happened in Tasmania a Did few it? months before. Last oh. year it happened in Tasmania. Yeah. Apartment people were telling rescuers to stay away. Do you think it happens without us knowing or do you think whales are normally known when they're beached? Is it sort of reported? Well, generally? yeah, yeah the f- fishers are very good at reporting mm. whales out there coming in. And as soon as uh, the media gets there and footage gets out on television news, yeah. hundreds of volunteers will just go straight down to the beach. And I think sometimes bureaucrats think that volunteers are are a nuisance and Mm. and I don't understand that because without the volunteers you cannot help those whales. Mm. If you've got a hundred whales on the beach for example you need at least five four or five people attending to each whale keeping them wet because Mm. whales don't have pores in their skin Mm. so they overheat kills them. Mm. So when when they're on the beach and it's a hot day, you've got to have people. What about night time? Are they okay? They're okay at night. Yeah. What about tides? Because some areas are heavily tied. Yeah. Is that a problem? If they're so far up the beach, they just get rolled around a lot. Y- yes. Yes. And yeah. and that's a problem too because and when they're sitting on the beach, because they've never felt 
their own weight. I mean, the smaller yeah. whales can, can be 10, uh, 10 tonnes oh. yeah. and their organs get crushed. So when you first put them back into the water, uh, they just roll over and they can't really swim. So what what we we do is just rock them from side to side, which is a form of massage. It might take half a day or a day. They'll come good. So when a whale, I've seen like a dead whale coming to shore on here, it was a really big whale, yeah. and it had been eaten by sharks. Yeah. Some, not, yeah. not entirely, but a few bites yeah. out of it. But also it had a lot of oil across the water, and there was lots of white blobs. And I was out surfing on my wave ski, you know, like, and I, it was smoothed out the whole, so it was perfect, the surf, until yeah. I fell in. And then you could just feel the yeah. oils, and that night it's probably different because... Well, unless sometimes do the sharks come in and is there a problem with... Yeah, yeah, shark. If, if there's like little white blobs everywhere, like if for a mile around the whole shark. If there's the a, a dying whale or a dead whale, sharks will be in there. Pretty but they're not in on a beached whale scenario? No. Okay. So it's still safe to be... Yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. I just imagined that that would be another problem. Yeah, if you, there are dead whales out in the water, yeah. they'll attract the sharks. Yeah. Getting the live ones out it is hard work. It takes a lot of volunteers, but it can be done. And, and as I said, the secret is to take them all out together. Thanks for listening. Nick and Laurie continue their chat in our next episode.